Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are into the second week, ladies and gentlemen, of the carnage that is going on in Afghanistan after the United States of America decided to walk away from the troubled region, leaving chaos and human misery in their wake. As the Taliban sets about tightening its grip on the country, British and American troops are holding an uneasy peace at Kabul airport as they endeavour to ferry thousands of desperate people onto planes and to freedom in the West. President Joe Biden said last night that the US had airlifted tens of thousands of people to safe havens in Europe and in the Gulf, but refused to be moved on whether he will actually extend the deadline of August the 31st, when all US forces will once again be withdrawn. Boris Johnson is preparing to urge him to stay longer at an emergency G7 meeting tomorrow. He's being urged uh, to make it Britain's absolute and utter mission to ensure that all the people that need to get out can get out. We'll be going live this morning to Kabul airport where there has already been a gun battle between Afghan security forces and allied troops. We'll be speaking to the independence defence and diplomatic editor Kim Sengupta who's been there since last week witnessing the misery, the desperation and even the deaths as the crowds surge towards planes in the hopes of getting on and going anywhere just to get away from what they obviously feel would be certain death. 0344 is the number. Coming up later on, we will hear from Colonel Bob Stewart, MP, and former British Army officer, uh, also UN commander in Bosnia as well. He'll know a thing or two about evacuations. He'll know a thing or two about moving many, many thousands of people around. And we'll get his view on both the military and the diplomatic situations going on. Peter Hitchens is also here after a weekend of batting away accusations from hysterical lefties after he accused our own liberal Taliban of forcing women to go to work because they had to prove they could have it all. He'll also have his own view of Tony Blair's intervention at the weekend as well when he called Joe Biden's decision to withdraw imbecilic. We'll also take a look at President Biden's rather halting speech last night when he seemed to struggle with reading his own auto cue. Laurie Laird will explain. 0344 We'll be telling you later on that a record $1.76 billion has been raked in by local authorities in England in the past year uh, just from parking fines alone while they continue to push people into cycling and walking instead. That's a clear profit of 900 million quid that they say is being spent on repairing the roads and cutting down on, yeah, you guessed it, congestion. The top moneymaker is taking in £140 a minute from beleaguered motorists. And as ever, we need to hear from you. Uh, what are your local authority up to? Are they sneakily putting in cycle lanes, low traffic neighbourhoods, paid for parking where it used to be free? You tell us what you know and we can tell everyone else. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. Now available, of course, on television. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The newspapers this morning, of course, full uh, of uh, stories about what's been going on over in Kabul airport. And as many, many thousands of people still wait to see whether they can clamber onto a plane, mass airlift to evacuate 6,000 from Kabul. Chaos is the front page of the uh, Times, of course. The sun goes with get them out, Bojo. Uh, and it's the General's Kabul plea uh, to Boris Johnson to use the G7 meeting tomorrow Uh, to make sure that America does not once again uh, leave the people behind in Afghanistan and leave the area uh, on August the 31st, which is what the current date is for President Biden to pull out the troops for a second time. The most ridiculous situation, really, uh, is that there's so many people who think they can get to the airport and think they can get on a plane. It seems chaotic. And everybody that you talk to, from politicians to ministers uh, to uh, the US president, indeed, are all saying things like, well, of course, it was always going to be this chaotic. Well, it didn't have to be this chaotic. Chaotic. It really didn't. It didn't have to be this disorganised. It didn't have to be uh, so hard for the British troops to do the job that they are now currently doing. And it certainly did not have to be as ridiculously complicated as it seems to have become. So we want to hear from you as well today, of course, because the big question is still, how many people does Britain end up taking? 0344 499 1000 is the number. The big question is still, what is our absolute and utter uh, moral duty and how do we fill it out? What are we supposed to be doing? Kim Sengupta uh, is going to be talking to us very shortly. He's in uh, Kabul airport. He's been there since the weekend. He was there uh, when people were being crushed to death, when things were so bad that people were literally piling themselves in to the airport uh, compound, trying to get onto planes. And we saw already from the first few days of the of the struggle how people were running alongside aeroplanes. They were trying to jump onto wings. They were falling off aeroplanes. I mean, it really was quite horrific to see. Uh, but he's also been witnessing the way that somehow the crowds have been surging, the way that people in the heat, because it's very hot there at the moment, the way that people in the heat have been crushed to death. Uh, they think there's something around 20 to 30 people now who may have died 
uh, just trying to get through the airport, just trying to get onto a plane. It has been absolutely and utterly horrendous. And Kim Sengupta um, has been filing his, his stories to The Independent with what he has been seeing, what he has been doing and exactly what position he has been able to occupy. I believe we can go to Kim Sengupta um, uh, right now. Uh, Kim, a very good morning to you. Morning, mate. Good to speak to you. Yeah, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Uh, You've been there now for quite some time. Um, Tell us what you're seeing today, um, because obviously uh, you were there the other day when things were very bad indeed. People were being crushed to death. Uh, What's the atmosphere like today? Uh, Calmer, Mike. Uh, It's been calmer uh, yesterday and today. And that's partly because the processing by the Americans have been up a bit. So the people who were... basically congregating in very large numbers outside the British base uh, have now moved on. But the problem is, you know, more and more keep coming. And, and part of this surge uh, has, is the result, uh, Mike, of pronouncements made by politicians in London and, and Washington mm. uh, who have been saying that the airlift may be curtailed. That's led to panic being piled on, the panic already prevailing. And we've had phone calls from Afghan friends and, and, and colleagues who say, look, we're going to the airport today because by Monday, Tuesday, the, the airlift might, 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 be, might be off. So right. that's really feeding to a, in a, a desperate frenzy. Yes. And the road to the airport is controlled now completely by the Taliban and possibly some other even more, um, shall we say, extreme organisations. You're right. Um, but most of them are, are run by, by the Talibs, but they've also got other Islamist groups um, at, at the moment, as you know. And one of the Haqqani network is very powerful, and they do own and, and control uh, a few of the, of the checkpoints. And, and the problem we face is that even among the Talib checkpoints, there is no guarantee that even if you have got Talib accreditation, from the political uh, department that will get you through all checkpoints. We've had situations where you go past one Talib checkpoint, but not the other. The mm-hmm. little Haqqani, who, who sometimes refuse to recognize the Talib accreditation. So the problem is, Mike, if we as journalists are having these difficulties, you can imagine the, 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 the situation faced by, by the Afghan people. Yes, because presumably an awful lot of the people trying to get to the airport may not have the right papers, or if they do, they might be papers that are not recognised in some way by the Taliban. That's one point. Um, you know, but some of them, a lot of them have been getting through, uh, which then adds to the confusion, because then the people with legitimate papers can't get through because the ones without are already uh, you know, packing, you know, packing in the road. Um, but, but there is an issue here, which is, of course, you know, these people who are being offered an escape route, who are being flown out uh, by the UK, US and other Western governments, um, have got this uh, offer because they are under threat from, from the Taliban, mm. to be honest, from the Taliban. And if you're one of, those, uh, one of these people and, and you go to a Taliban checkpoint and you show your papers to the Taliban, if they want you badly enough, then they will arrest you and take you away. And, and that's what's happening mm. you know, by, by the bare dint of the fact that they are under threat from the Taliban. They are then having to offer themselves uh, to the Taliban checkpoints to get through. And sometimes that's what's leading to them disappearing. Yes. And from my understanding, um, the British troops were going into Kabul um, and perhaps its environs to, to get people. Is that still the case? Uh, they, they were. Um, we, there's not, not, not a thing we, we uh, you perhaps want to discuss too much of me in public, Mike. But uh, but that's what they had they had done, um, um, you know, sort of sort of and, and, and successfully as mm. well. Um, but it's 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 no longer just a question of of, of um, you know going in and, and, and extracting individuals, high value individuals. What we're talking about now is a mass of humanity. You know, which is surging to the airport. Yeah. It's a question of, of, of you know, working out who's eligible from that, you know, that mass of humanity, yeah. and getting them into the base, then processing them and putting them on the on mm. the aircraft. And from what President Biden was saying last night, I don't know if you were able to watch his 
um, address to the nation. He was suggesting that a lot of the American flights are not going, obviously, straight to the US. They're actually going to places like Germany, some of them going to the Gulf, and the people there are then processing those particular individuals. And some of them may not be allowed into the US anyway, so I'm not quite sure what happens to them. Well, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole, whole, whole process has been, has been chaotic. Um, the, on the UK uh, side, what tends to happen is the processing is done uh, in total over here. Uh, then they leave on military flights from Kabul airport. Then they go to a, a, another destination from which and they, they will go back to the UK on civilian flights, chartered civilian flights. Mm. So certainly, certainly, you know, in the in the in the um, in the UK UK system, you know, it, it, it's a it's a, a, a full um, full process which gets them into the UK. Right, and I understand there was some kind of gun battle um, earlier on today. What was that all about? Well, it's very difficult to tell. I mean, there, there's shooting going on almost all the time. Um, some of it, uh, the challenge fighting, you know, firing in the air. Sometimes, you know, terrorists firing at people. Um, you have also had uh, Americans firing in the air to disperse people. And there have been, you know, certainly exchanges of fire uh, into the airport uh, and out. I mean, um, a few days ago, uh, last week, I think it was last week, the Talibs killed a, a guy uh, outside the British base. The airport guards were not British from the, the Sangas at the airport, they opened fire. So this is a fairly common occurrence, you know, um, and, and and we have had seven deaths outside the the British base and just one day alone Saturday, which were not um, through through direct violence. They they were crushed to death. Um, mm. These poor people, but at the same time, there have been um, you know other killings, um, not very far away. Right. And what is the sense on the ground, Kim? Because, of course, we hear Joe Biden saying all the time, well, whatever would have, whatever time we would have pulled out, it would have been chaotic. I find that hard to believe that it would have been this chaotic. It seems they could have done it better. They could, Mike. And, you, you know, I mean, I mean, you're entirely right in, in, in what you're saying. The whole thing was, was done in an extremely chaotic way. Even the, even the deadline, you know, given has shifted so much, and that's it to the confusion. The deadline for, for pulling out troops, if you remember, it was meant to be symbolically 9-11, first of all, and then it was shifted, and then they left, you know, in, in night places like Bagram, uh, which basically was a, was an invitation for the Talibs to launch their offensive. Mm. So the whole thing couldn't have been handled worse. No. And now the Taliban, of course, have, have got all the equipment that the Americans left behind. They're, they're wearing their uniforms. They've got their sort of night vision stuff. They've got the guns. They've got um, the, the, the vehicles. It seems incredible that that was all left behind just for them. Well, you know, according to estimates, something like $85 billion worth of kit mm. had been handed over uh, to Amazing. the Islamists. Um, and then even now, as we speak, Mike, you know, what Americans are doing is, you know, they're destroying stuff at the airport uh, before they leave. That's the sheer amount of, 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 of uh, material that's been left, not just by the Allied forces, but also private contractors as well, mm. you know, just fled, abandoning. So, you know, um, I mean, not all will be destroyed. Of course, the Talibs, when they do take back the airport, we'll have another, another bonanza. Yeah. It is un unbelievable. And is, is your sense, Kim, that the, 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 the Taliban's grip, if you like, on the rest of the country is, is now complete? Because we know what's going on at uh, Kabul airport, thanks to people like yourself who are actually there. But there's not too many journalists in other parts of the country. Uh, but we, we hear disturbing reports about what's going on there. Um, that's entirely true. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's also a, a situation with very fluid ice spent. Uh, six days in, in Herat with the fighters of Ishmael Khan and the, you know, the, the veteran Mujahideen. And, and they were doing well, Mike, you know, uh, aided by uh, uh, Western airstrikes, US and UK airstrikes. And they seemed to have secured the city, pushed the Taliban back. I came back to Kabul on Tuesday, but Wednesday, the uh, Herat had been taken by, by the Talibs. Mm -hmm. Now, initially, the people I spoke to said, you know, that the, the Talibs were being quite reasonable. You know, they, they were... Um, uh, you know, being being uh, uh, you know quite benign almost, but that has changed. You know, yeah. now you hear people being taken away, uh, journalists, um, others. You know, people some have been killed. So the situation, you know, is very fluid. It keeps on changing, and in, in Kabul itself, also there are of course 
nitrates, you know, you know people, they're looking for government employees, they're looking for journalists, they're looking for uh, human rights workers. So it's a dangerous time if you're... Yes, and they've made it pretty clear today, haven't they, that if um, Joe Biden wants to extend the time that American troops stay there beyond August 31st, for them, uh, I think their words were, that's a deal-breaker. Well, that's what they're saying. Now, it, you know, it's it, it likely that if that does happen, Mike, if it's extended, then then what's needed is a, is a bit of danger, you know, what, what the Americans will have to do. Is to, is to pay, simple as that. Mm. You know, they you know they extend the line of credit, um, and I think you know the the, the economy here is, is in such a shattered state. You know, this is the basket case really. I think enough money will allow the Americans um, and and the West to stay on for a bit longer to extract more people. Mm. But obviously, it's not an indefinite thing. And of course, the longer you you in you know. Uh, uh, enlarge the process, the more people want to want to come. Yes. Well, I saw a, a US um, uh, analyst yesterday saying, well, if you put a plane on a runway at Kabul airport and say it's going to America, what do you think is going to happen? A lot of people are going to want to get on it, regardless of yep. whether they should be getting on it, regardless of whether they qualify to go to America, they're going to want to get on it. Of course. Yeah. And so as far as um, the situation goes in um, in Kabul airport, uh, as we now stand, the British troops are being praised very, very highly for the way that they're dealing with lots of difficult situations. Lots of pictures in the papers today of of troops holding young children um, who must be terribly traumatized by it all. But one of the things that surprised me, Kim, over the last few days has been how people have been talking about the mineral wealth of Afghanistan, which has never really been talked about in 20 years. Suddenly now we're being told they've got, you know, acres and acres and acres of lithium, which can be mined out of the ground. They've got great marble deposits that could be uh, exploited. Why was none of this ever mentioned before the, uh, the, the the reconstruction, if you like, of Afghanistan? They've always had it, of course, you know, copper um, up, in, up in the north and, and, and precious metal. Um, you know, there, there were some, some mining efforts over the last 20 years, mm. but they never really came to anything much, you know, because of, of, of the security situation. Right. Now, of course, you know, the, 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 the thing that's supposed to happen is the Chinese are going to introduce their Belt and Road Scheme here, and they have now got concessions to a lot of the mineral. Mm. Um, but the big problem is, is that, you know, to do that, to exploit the mineral, you need security. And the one thing this country hasn't got at the moment is security. Yes, it does seem like a bit of a lawless place. I mean, um, your situation, Kim, is 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 presumably um, okay. However, um, are you able to move around? Are you able to talk to the Taliban? How does that all work? Well, uh, moving around is, is very very difficult, uh, partly because of the checkpoints um, and also because of the sheer crush of people. Now, where I'm at the moment, the airport, you know, uh, area. Uh, you know that that is absolutely packed with with people. Just getting through, it's not a question of just getting a car and driving through. You know, you've got to walk through. It. It's always difficult. Of course. Beyond that, the city itself is 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 not very crowded. Uh, a bit, you know, a, a, a few more shops open, uh, more cars. Uh, the striking thing is the sheer lack of women on the streets. Yeah. Uh, once you do see a chaperone by men. Because a lot of young women are are hiding, you know. I mean, they, uh, you know, especially the ones who live by themselves. You know, they're terrified of, of being arrested by the Taliban. And the other thing, which, which we haven't really considered before, and the, and an endless number of young women have said this to me and my colleagues that you know what they're scared about being unmarried young women, and also you know those who are widows, is there's a genuine fear that they'll be married off to Taliban fighters. This is not paranoia. This is something which may happen. Mm. But that's another reason, you know, they they do not want to leave their homes. So, you know, because a, a strange situation where an entire gender has right. almost been there, rushed off of the capital city. Incredible. And if they don't make it to the airport, I guess, then they're stuck there forever, right? Well, I, I mean, one can't really see how they can get out. So, you know. I mean, maybe there will be some kind of an accommodation with 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 the, with, with, with the talibs. You know, maybe, you know, uh, if they if they uh, behave according to Sharia law, you know, they'll be allowed to 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 work in some capacity. We simply don't know. You know, I mean, we had a press conference by Zaibullah Mujahid, the talib spokesman. You know, where he, if you recall, Mike, you know, he made all kinds of yes. promises. You know, no 
no revenge, you know, uh, nothing to fear by opponents. Women will be free according to Islamic law. Um, well, except, you know, we, we have to see that in practice. And even on that on that day, he was very vague about, you know, what all this translated translates into in reality. Um, and, you know, I mean, that is the problem, is the uncertainty. Yes, of course. And, Kim, you've been in plenty of dangerous places before. Um, do your, is your sense that it will stay like it is now for a while? When will you decide to, that it's probably time to get out? We'll, 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 we'll see, we'll see, Mike. I mean, I, I, th- I think one should bear in mind that um, certainly in our um, view, it's not in the interest of the Taliban to attack foreign journalists, um, you know, because at the moment they're trying to present themselves, you know, as a responsible, viable government. Now, that, of course, is, is very, very different uh, from what's being experienced by Afghan journalists, mm. you know, who, who, who a lot of them, um, you know, have now hidden themselves or some have been arrested. Um, so, you know, they're the ones who I'm afraid are going to face the brunt of retribution. Mm. And I think, you know, for Western journalists, possibly, you know, we will, we'll, we have got this sort of, you know, certain amount of protection for the time being, at least. Well, that's good. Kim, really appreciate your time. And thank you so much. And look after yourself. Kim Singupta, the defence and diplomatic editor, talking to us live from Kabul Airport. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Pictures on the front page of the Telegraph today uh, of an American soldier talking uh, to a British soldier, uh, both of them looking um, very intensely at crowds and crowds of people in what is obviously an incredibly volatile situation at Kabul airport. The headline says Johnson to push Biden on Afghan withdrawal because President Biden last night said, certainly intimated, that the uh, new deadline was going to be August the 31st. It may not be that that can be moved. Boris Johnson is going to be trying at the G7 tomorrow to do that. Let's talk now to Colonel Bob Stewart, Conservative MP for Beckenham, former UN commander, of course, in Bosnia, uh, a man that I uh, met for the first time there. Uh, he had an awful lot to do with peacekeeping forces there, but also having to work with different armies from different countries, uh, and that can be a problem. Colonel Bob, very good morning to you. Uh, hello, hello, Mike. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, Colonel Bob, you will know better than most people uh, the logistical nightmare of, of what our troops are having to deal with out there at Kabul Airport at the moment. Working with the Americans isn't always the easiest thing either. Um, what's your view of the current situation as you see it? Well, it seems to me that the airlift is working pretty well insofar as the aircraft are arriving and departing. Yeah. Some of them are departing without being filled up. And the reason why they're not being filled up is that people, the source for filling them up, in other words, the people arriving at Kabul airport aren't being allowed to get through mm. easily. And that's down to the Taliban. Um, so I think fundamentally the mechanics are in position, but actually there's still got to be a certain amount of spirit to allow it to, to get through. Mm. And I can tell you this, um, you're talking about a British soldier talking to an American soldier. I can tell you what the British soldiers and the American soldiers will be feeling like. And they will be feeling that they have got to do their very best to get as many people off the ground as possible. And they will feel it very, very personally. Because I remember my soldiers when we were threatened in Bosnia that we would have to withdraw and we were going to be ordered to withdraw. I remember one soldier, in fact, several turning around to me and saying, you must be joking, sir. If you think we're leaving these people to their fate, you've got another thing coming. And from my point of view, I mean, it was quite difficult. I thought, um, you know, I may well, may well have a mutiny if mm. I carry out this order. And quite frankly, I uh, I was in a sort of wretched Christian position because I totally agreed with my soldiers. So uh, it never came to that. But that's what the, the our young men uh, on the ground will be thinking. I don't think I've seen any young women, but I suspect there will be. Mm. Well, many of the uh, operations that you were in charge of in Bosnia as well were kind of helped and aided by the fact that um, you had, if you needed it, more military might than the people you were fighting, by and large. This is not the case necessarily in, in Kabul at the moment, is it? Because there's a lot more Taliban than there are troops. That's right. They're very likely. Uh, there's no there's no armour there. Uh, I think there's very little um, transport too, Mike. I, I, I haven't seen vehicles. I mean, this is a, a, a light relief. The people have gone in um, with perhaps they will have a couple of vehicles, but not, not that many, and certainly not vehicles that can take uh, incoming fire, um, such as from anti-tank weapons or indeed high-velocity 
rifles. So they are very, very likely uh, protected. And so they're going to have to do their very best by their professionalism and persuasiveness to get their way. Um, because we don't really want a firefight developing uh, at uh, Kabul airport, no. which is quite possible at any time. Well, I think so. I mean, there was some kind of small gun battle today, apparently. And, and we were speaking to Kim Sengupta, you'll probably remember from your days in Bosnia, who's out there for the independent. And he was saying, basically, you're hearing gunfire pretty much all the time. Sometimes it's being fired into the air. Sometimes it's being fired at other people. I mean, it's clearly a very tense situation, which which is almost at the behest, really, of the Taliban. You know, if they want to make it a problem, if they want to tighten their security, if they want to tighten the noose, if you like, they can. Well, we've, we've handed the initiative to the Taliban by uh, announcing that we're withdrawing. Um, we, led by the Americans, of course, we can't do, uh, honestly, we can't do much without the Americans mm. being there. The Americans have announced prematurely and precipitously a withdrawal, which actually is mad. The, 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 the way to do these things, according to the book, would be to withdraw all those people that have helped you and are vulnerable while the military forces are on the ground and then pull your men out. That's the way to do it. That's the classic way to do it. What they seem to have done is they've withdrawn the military force to protect those people and then the, the chaos has ensued. It's 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 farming. It's farming. It seems incredible. It. I mean I you know I'm 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 no a military historian and I'm certainly no expert on manoeuvres, but it seems incredible to me that Joe Biden can come out and say, well it would have been chaotic whichever way we did it. Surely they could have done it better than this. Oh, yes, of course they could have done it better. I mean, uh, I'm so sorry, but I, 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 I'm very pro-American, but this is a real cock-up, frankly, mm. um, to put it bluntly. Um, this should not have happened. Um, I know they, they were saying they were going to withdraw. Never put a time on it, date time on it. It gives the opposition the advantage of knowing that, and they can work to that. Why not just say, why not say we are withdrawing and we will do it gradually, and we will do it in a measured way, and we will make sure that those people for whom we have responsibility are withdrawn before we actually withdraw ourselves. But, but incredi incredibly, Bob, they, they seem to have made the same mistake again, because Biden last night was saying, um, you know, it looks like August the 31st will be the end date at which we will pull out. And so regardless of whether or not that changes, he's now given them another deadline. Well, yeah, they, they, they can correct that. Um, by persuasion, um, hopefully the, the Prime Minister, who by uh, I have no special knowledge here, but knowing knowing Boris Johnson, he will be wanting to do the very best for everyone on the ground. He doesn't like this situation at all. He knows very well that if the Americans pull out and leave Kabul airport, there's no way we could protect it with our very limited uh, manpower on the ground there. There's no way we could actually take over uh, protecting the perimeter because you've got a Quite a large perimeter to, to protect there, to keep it in, in other words, for airplanes to land. They've got a, it's a long runway and and it's a big area and that, that's got to be protected uh, and, and patrolled. Yeah. And if you haven't got the manpower, you can't do it. Tobias Elwood last week was talking about possible, you know, ways of, of, of getting people out quicker. Um, and his suggestion was to use Bagram Air Base and actually bus people over there, uh, protect that particular area and get planes in and out of that as well. So presumably um, Bagram Air, Air Base is now, as I understand it, occupied by the Taliban. What do you do? Just drive your airplane straight in there? Do you take it by uh, coup de main? What do you do? Um, mm. I'm sorry, but uh, Tobias is not being practical there. It's you could only do that if the Taliban agreed that that might be a possibility. But without without Taliban approval, um, it wouldn't be that. Isn't that dreadful to say that? I know. But this is the <laughs> thing. I mean, I find it astonishing. Approval, um, we can't do anything. Mm. I, I think it's appalling. What a situation we've got ourselves into here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the real tragedy, frankly, our men will do their very best on the ground and, and, and they, their feelings, I can tell you what their feelings were, I've mentioned already, their feelings are we've got to protect people as much as possible. Yeah. But the real tragedy is for the normal people who've been unlucky enough, 
human beings who've been unlucky enough to be born in Afghanistan rather than in, in any other country in the world, and especially the United Kingdom. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was also staggered by some of the stuff that came out from Tony Blair at the weekend, where he made out uh, that actually um, that the Chinese and the Russians would be unhappy that we were leaving on the basis that somehow they'd rather we were there uh, using up our valuable sort of manpower and woman power uh, on the ground. I think that's entirely the opposite. I think China and Russia are delighted that we've walked out of the place because now they can go in and plunder all the mineral wealth. Yeah, well, entirely right. I entirely endorse that. Um, um, they will be giggling, giggling all the way to the bank, mm. frankly. Yeah. Um, and the Taliban will be dealing with them and they will be quite prepared to put up with this foul regime. Um, this absolutely foul regime. Um, the fact of the matter is, the Taliban are saying that we'll be um, we'll be tolerant and we'll be decent and we'll be uh, humane, humane in the way we deal with people in this country. I don't believe a word of that. And frankly, there is evidence already in in other provincial capitals that they are behaving just like they did in the past. Mm. And as soon as we have gone and, and our footprint is out of Kabul airport, I suspect that they will then impose their foul regime very hard on anyone that's left. And that's the reason why people are so utterly desperate to get out of the place. Mm. And they are human beings, and that's the real tragedy of it. Well, exactly right. And I mean, you know, when you say, isn't it terrible that we have to say, if the Taliban let us do it, um, it's as if when you were in Bosnia, you would have said, well, I can't go into Vitesse today uh, because the HVO uh, Croat militia said we can't go there. You would never have stood for that. You would have just got in the old warrior and got down and driven straight down the high street. You know, but we well, seem to it. have lost this kind of, we seem to have lost the upper hand somehow. Well, I always use the fact that uh, as a, my authority that I had the mandate of the United Nations and the Security Council of the United Nations. It mm. was the highest authority in the world. And I, the other thing that you mentioned is warrior. That is an armoured vehicle. Yeah. They haven't got armoured vehicles. And what are you going to do um, with with likely armed and likely protected um, soldiers on the ground from, you know, the, the paras and possibly the Marines and other people on the ground? Good as they are, and they are outstanding soldiers, of course, uh, good as they are, they cannot actually compete against a force that actually has all this sort of armour mm. now, because the Americans have left so much and the Afghan army was equipped with things like Humvees and they've, pro they've probably now got sort of drones and things like that. Oh, they've, got, they've got everything. They've taken the uniforms. They've got all of the night vision gear. They've got the weaponry. They've got Humvees. They've got uh, everything practically apart from the helicopters uh, because I think they were disabled. But apart from that, they've got billions of pounds worth of equipment that the Americans just left behind. Yeah. Um, I I, I, I don't think we've left much behind, actually. I hope not. No. Um, but, but, but the fact of the matter is that is the case. So it's extremely difficult. So all these people that are advocating, well, actually, let's put up more of a fight of it. Let's actually take, take, take the war to the enemy. Let's actually go into uh, Kabul and go around and sort out the place and get everyone we want. To. That's just barking mad. It's sparking mad with the troops we've, we've got there. We can't do it. And um, the other thing, of course, that I had um, in my favor all those years ago was I had a mandate from the United Nations. Yes. Trying to get a decision out to the United Nations is, you know, well, they'll, they'll operate at the speed of a striking slug, Mike. Mm. Um, the, the fact of the matter is the United Nations will never agree. It. And then the Security Council has two permanent members that will block anything if they don't like it. And yes. That's China and Russia. <laughs> Well, this is, this is the trouble, isn't it? The UN have been woeful, absolutely hopeless. What's your, and finally, Colonel Bob, what's your view on how many people we should be bringing to the UK? Because it seems America's plan is to take them out of there, take them to Qatar or the UAE uh, or to Germany, and then sort of process refugees to see whether they're eligible to go to the US. Obviously, we, we owe a debt of gratitude to those who fought on our side. But aside from that, how many refugees should we be letting into this country? How long is a piece of string? We don't know that. People have been emailing me as a member of parliament and saying 20,000 people who supported the British when we've been there isn't enough. Well, I have to say, having visited Afghanistan, I'm not sure that that big, where they get that figure from, I don't know. Mm. It certainly wasn't 20,000 in my view. There's, you know, and how do you <coughs> determine 
a number. I think actually what we should say, we've already said, we'll, we'll take 5,000 this year. That's what the government said. That's not a bad start. But I, you know, even so, I would say, how do we know we've got 5,000? Mm. Let's actually just look at it. Let's actually look at each case as they come through. Because frankly, I don't think there's any um, evidence that we know exactly how many people we require to look after. But it's not just us, it's the rest of the world. We, we are all human beings on the, in this world. And the rest of the world has failed just as much as the United Kingdom. Mm. But let us remember one thing, and I wish people would sometimes remember this. It's not us that's killing people in Afghanistan. It's the Taliban. And they are the people who are the this disgusting regime who actually are destroying the lives of so many people, who fundamentally hanging people, killing people, stopping women having a decent lives, stopping their education and forcing young girls to marry people who they don't even know. This is just awful. And uh, it, it's, it's a mistake on the part of the world. But the people who are responsible for this are the Taliban, mm. not mm -hmm. us. Yes, very well said. Colonel Bob Stewart, thank you very much indeed for your time. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens. Peter, how are you? Morning. Uh, I see you've been suffering the slings and arrows uh, over the course of the weekend. It still seems to be going on. You know, how dare you criticise uh, the lefty liberals who may, in your view, have altered the, uh, the direction of, of women's uh, lives over the course of several decades? Well, sure. I mean, it's an interesting illustration. There are more ways of controlling people's ideas and the way they behave than waving a Kalashnikov about and putting on a turban. Mm. And when I used the expression liberal Taliban, I was trying to draw attention to the fact that, the, that there is a very strong faction of people who get extremely annoyed if anybody suggests anything wrong with their long-standing policy. Uh, immediately, I was accused of being against women being free to go out and work. It's a complete twaddle. Mm. Uh, I have no, uh, no objections. As I keep saying, uh, if you'd like to read Virginia Woolf's wonderful short essay, A Room of One's Own, uh, a very strong, proper feminist manifesto, uh, then you will find everything in there I agree with about the, 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 the rights of women being absolute. The problem that this country faces is that there is a faction which believes that women should be deprived of the ability to stay at home and raise the next generation. Perhaps the most honourable and important task anybody ever does in their lives. Mm. And instead, they should be compelled by economic and social pressure to go out to work in call centres and other uh, unsatisfying places while their children uh, spend their days being looked after by paid strangers in supposed childcare. Uh, the only form of childcare which the government in this country does not subsidise is the one where you do it yourself. Yes. Uh, any, any other form, the, the, the taxpayer is, is, is squeezed to, to help pay for. But the, the way in which children are brought up by their own parents is the one both the government and our society disapprove of. There have been decades of propaganda in women's magazines, television programmes, the BBC, the, the Academy, wherever you care to look, basically suggesting that the whole task of of bringing up children is beneath the dignity of women, and they'd be much better off, as I say, going to a call centre uh, and working there and being wage slaves under the total thumb of, of, mm. of ruthless employers who, uh, who who pay them very little uh, for doing quite a bit. I don't see how this is a liberation, and I get very angry when people tell tell me that, uh, that when I criticise it that I am that I'm in some way trying to restrict the rights and freedoms of women. It's mm. a complete lie. But that's an example of the sort of reaction that you get when you try to discuss any serious major issue. Do people really, I mean, the people who, who, who find that they cannot conceivably raise a family without two incomes and then have to face the implications of this uh, in, in, in paying for this, this childcare that they have to have, do they really think that, the, that their children are better off being brought up by paid strangers? The other thing is, I'm also, I'm, I'm against easy divorce. I think that, that, that divorce should not be a thing that people turn to as soon as a marriage uh, gets into difficulty because this produces fatherless families and fatherless children, which is disastrous. Is there anybody here who thinks there is there is there is actually not enough divorce mm. in our society? Uh, is anybody who's experienced it or, or, or experienced others undergoing it, uh, particularly the children of divorces, who actually wants there to be more of it? 
So is it not a reasonable thing to raise the question? And yet this liberal Taliban get totally enraged and puce in the face and, and spew out the most extraordinary excremental insults to anybody who suggests that this, this might not have been the, the most perfect policy ever devised by by man. Mm. Uh, but rather than using Kalashnikovs, they use abuse and they, and they, they use denial of platform. Yes. And in the end, they would, they would much rather I was dead. Uh, and uh, if not dead, then at least silent. At and least I, silent. Well, exactly. Right. Well, because spot. some of them, I mean, it's good, it's good that you raised the divorce uh, question because many of them were suggesting, oh, I suppose Peter doesn't want women to get divorced then. You know, as if you were somehow trying to deny them the right to do anything, which you weren't doing. Absolutely not. I, it's not it, I've never suggested any such thing. I, people have been telling lies about me this country ever since I published my, my book, The Abolition of Britain, which explains the extraordinary position in this country about divorce. Back in 1999, uh, they've accused me of, of wanting to persecute single mothers and all kinds of other uh, tripe uh, and, and bilge that, that people come up with. I wouldn't dream of wanting to do any such thing. What I, I would like, I think, is for there to be fewer single mothers, but the idea that the, the, the women in that position have, in many cases, chosen the position they're in, or that it's their own fault, there's ridiculously immense social pressures in this country against the, the family arrangements which we used to have until really about the middle 60s, mm. uh, is, is colossal. And uh, for, all right, for a, for, for a lot of very rich careerist people of both sexes, it's turned out fine, not least because they can all afford servants. Uh, uh, thanks to, to, to other changes in our society. But it's not fine for most people. And it, for a lot of people, it's very hard graft. And it's, it's actually a, a huge wrench. Uh, and they don't, they don't necessarily like it. And I think if, if they had some kind of political uh, and media advocacy saying, actually, this isn't necessarily the best way of arranging a society, a lot of people would be grateful. But we can't even debate it rationally. I can't get a rational response from those who are in favor of it. That's why I call them the Taliban. The Taliban don't respond rationally to criticism either. They respond with a Kalashnikov. <laughs> no, exactly and a, right. And a, shower of, and a shower of stones. Yes, I mean, exactly right. I mean, the, the weekend for, for all of that madness was personified for me in a different actual subject, but the same idea. Uh, and this was Stephen Fry, who put out a video on behalf of Extinction Rebellion, telling everybody how we should support them, uh, how they're not really horrible, nasty, you know, grubby people that try and stop ordinary people from going to work every day. Um, and that we should demand from the government the impossible, uh, he said, and he said without any irony, sitting in a very, very well upholstered sort of library uh, in his home in Piccadilly, uh, where he ha also has a garage Bentley. Yes. Well, I, I, I have come to suspect that the endorsement of Stephen Fry for any cause will do it nothing but harm. Let us hope that that is true. Yes, I think uh, so. I, I am com completely baffled at the, the, the way in which people admire this rather strange person. But I really can't see. Uh, that uh, that his endorsement is, is going to help. But I, again, on all the whole Extinction Rebellion campaign and everything else, uh, yet another of our, of our coal-fired power stations bit the dust yesterday. They don't just close them, though. They blow them up to make mm. sure they can never be used again. While this goes on, China builds power stations, far more than we ever had, coal-fired power stations, uh, at, an, at an increasing rate, consuming vast quantities of coal, dug out of the, the inner Mongolian coal field, which is one of the biggest ever, ever to be found in the world, and they're going to carry on doing it for decades to come. So each time we shut down a coal-fired power station, make ourselves more vulnerable uh, to power cuts as we do, uh, we make absolutely no difference uh, to the amount of, of, of coal-fired power being generated because it carries on going up. Mm. And yet, this, again, you can't raise this. You can't say this without, no. without a stream of abuse. Nobody will respond rationally uh, to this point. And, and also, we, we now we've now we've now also, as often is the case, uh, it's happened with COVID. It now happens with climate change that the creative accountants start to get involved and go, ah, hang on a minute. Um, now, you might have exported all of your industry to China. Therefore, any industry in China which makes goods which we buy should be counted as our emissions. And you're kind of going, this is a kind of a madness going on, isn't it? Well, it... <laughs> It is, but it, it, the, the thing about it is that it is impossible to engage with it rationally. Mm. Uh, you cannot do so. Uh, the, the, there is, you're simply overwhelmed if you if you raise any objection to it and misrepresented. Uh, people will then will then claim that you've said something that you have not said, uh, and will accuse you of holding opinions you do not hold. Right. 
And if that doesn't work, then they'll just make sure that the, the number of opportunities you have to make the, the case diminish and diminish until you vanish. And this is this is not done by secret police coming and hammering on the door and dragging off to, to a gulag or a concentration camp. It's just done by methods which nobody can really object to or protest about because they, they, they are, say, it's marshmallow totalitarianism. Mm. It has the same ultimate effect. You can't say it. Nobody can hear it. The debate cannot be held. Uh, but because it's not done by these methods, it, it, no one will object to it. And also, it's done by the salami slicing technique. Each removal of freedom of speech is so small uh, that no one can really be got together to protest about it at the time. But when they've all accumulated together, you've lost the entire sausage. Mm. Absolutely right. And I see as well uh, that the Extinction Rebellion uh, crowd are going to be uh, operating, uh, as they call it, for the next two weeks in London, uh, where I dare say the police uh, may or may not arrest one or two of them. But don't worry, because when they go to court, the judge may find them guilty or a jury may find them guilty, but they'll let them off, as they have done in the past, on the grounds that they're doing it for a good cause. Well, maybe. Let's see. That's happened before. I, it, 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 very peculiar things have happened before, and the, the, the enforcement of the law in such matters is uh, is, is increasingly odd, uh, as so many things are. But I, that is the society in which we live. Power does not rest where people think it rests anymore, uh, and the, the possibility of questioning things through the law is, is, is much diminished, and the courts themselves are influenced by the politics of the country in which in, in which they live, unsurprisingly. Mm. But again, there won't be they won't be setting up people's courts uh, in which it's openly stated that the courts are political. They will just become gradually more and more politicised against certain things and in mm. favour of others. And there we will be. Yes. What's speaking, going on? Speaking of uh, of the Taliban, what did you make of Tony Blair's uh, pronouncements at the weekend, in which uh, uh, he declared Joe Biden? Uh, to be imbecilic, or to his decision to be imbecilic, even though I had great respect for him as a man, obviously. Um, but uh, a lot of people saying, well, hang on a minute, this is the same man who sent British troops into Iraq without proper equipment. Well, I think what sums up the problem, Mr Blair, is that he still feels able to speak publicly on, on major matters. I mean, if he actually understood uh, what he had done and, uh, and what a, f- a failure and disaster, particularly the Iraq war, but there are other things as well, uh, then he would long ago have taken himself to a Trappist monastery with a vow of silence and spent the rest of his life uh, 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 doing penitential things. It, the fact that he doesn't do that shows that he has absolutely no self-knowledge at all. He doesn't understand why people despise him, uh, which is maybe a good thing from, from his own point of view, though I, 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 do, I do think it really would be more dignified uh, if he would show some sign at least having made an error, but for mm. him to accuse Joe Biden of making imbecilic statements and following imbecilic slogans, uh, it, it's, it's beyond parody. Uh, and, and what, but what is amazing is that when he does this, people take it seriously. And yeah. there's another thing, you see, there's still, there's still quite a lot of Blairites in the, in, in the media and in politics who long for this person to return to yeah. Oh, Absolutely. And they think that we are somehow worse off without him. Uh, yes, they, they do. Uh, and, and here we are. Though, of course, Blairism long ago fanned out into the Conservative Party and has its practitioners yeah. in the Conservative Party and in, in large parts of the country where, where people are not, not even aware that they, are, that they are mouthing Blairite slogans and politics. Yeah. This is another of the problems. People adopt all this stuff uh, quietly. People who 20 years ago would have spoken and thought completely differently. And uh, now they open their mouths and out comes Blairism. Yeah. It, because bit by bit, as the as the debate narrows the number of things it's possible to say diminishes and here you are mm. and do you mourn in some way peter as some others have said at the uh, recent days that that british influence in the world is now pretty much at rock bottom whether or not joe biden talks to boris johnson notwithstanding you know britain doesn't appear to have much power anymore in any in any real sense well, we lost our power because we, 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 we made fools of ourselves and we, we abused it. I mean, the, the most significant thing we did was, was enter the extraordinary Russo-German War of 1914, which, in which we had no interest at all, uh, bankrupted ourselves within a year and, and ceased almost immediately uh, to be a significant power. And that was the end of it. So it, it's, a bit, it's a bit late to mourn it. I mean, as I was growing up, I, be, I became more and more aware that that we were a diminishing country. I remember around about this time of year in 1960, watching the, the, the towing to the breakers yards of the last of the Royal Navy's battleships, HMS Vanguard, mm. as an extraordinary sight. 
uh, not least because she got stuck in the mud being towed out of, uh, out of Portsmouth Harbour. But it, it, I realised at that point that I was living in a declining country uh, and one that was declining quite fast. In a way, of course, one, you know, one could take the George Santayana as the great Spanish-American philosopher's view that the, the world never had sweeter masters in the British Empire. But on the other hand, all empires are, are bad news for the people who are under their thumbs. And it's idle to pretend that's not so. Uh, I think ours is a good deal better than, for instance, the Soviet Empire or the great Chinese Empire we now have or several other empires I can think of, the Austro-Hungarian, for instance. But it, it, it was an empire. It's gone. There's not much point in, in, in regressing it. What I am extraordinarily astonished by is the huge enthusiasm for sort of modern liberal imperialism among so many people now who seem to think that we have both the power and the right to remain in Afghanistan uh, and should do so uh, to make that country behave as we think it ought to and mm. to have the internal policies we think it ought to. Well, surely, and the whole of my growing up period, I was told, well, you, it's all very well complaining about the the post-colonial administrations in, say, Africa, uh, but they, they have a right to their own freedom. They, they should be able to run their own affairs. Surely self-determination stands above all things. And that was the classic liberal left view of the colonial freedom movements of the time. Well, now we seem to have gone back on that. And do we or do we not believe that countries should determine their own, their, their own internal affairs when they're independent? If we do, uh, then we must leave them to, to fulfill their own destinies. If we don't, then then is imperialism now okay again? I can't get the the thinking of these people straight. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Peter, I don't know whether you've seen uh, something that Toby Young put out earlier on today on the uh, the, the DailySkeptic.org, and it's a cost-benefit analysis uh, that finds that guess what. The lockdowns were not worth it. And this is from an unpublished paper by an econ- economic consultant called Jan Reed, um, who's basically sort of tried to work it out on the cost-benefit analysis of the loss of life. Um, and he's, he's found out effectively that the, the, the costs um, were up to 10 times greater than the benefits. Yeah, I, the difficulty with anything of this kind is that people will immediately turn around and say, well, how much is a life worth? Are you, you just saying that we should, uh, we, should, we should have lost more lives to save money, uh, which was never the position which I took mm. and never the position I advocated, nor one in which I wish to be it, 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 back into now. I, I think that the, the analysis really needs to be made is, is one which uh, shows, which I think it would if it, if it were if it was seriously tackled, that we actually cost more lives uh, by doing these things than we saved. Mm. Uh, that it wasn't a matter of life versus money, but a matter of life versus life, and that the, 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 the mistakes uh, w- that were made did so much damage to our society, particularly to the previously healthy old, uh, confined in their homes, deprived of, of, of activity and human contact, uh, but also, of course, to the, the health service itself, which we were supposed to be saving. Uh, that we, we we paid a very heavy toll in, in, in sickness and unhappiness and, and death uh, for uh, for probably not saving very many lives. Again, it's it's difficult to, to to have this argument until we've resolved the question of whether lockdowns actually did have any effect mm. uh, on on life saving anyway, which I think is extremely disputable if yeah. you look at the thing worldwide. Uh, I welcome any discussion of this where people would only look at it rationally and say, well, was it worth it? I still say it was totally out of proportion. You know my, my, my standard comparison, mm. like a man burning down his house to get rid of a wasp nest. Yeah. And I, I still think that's true. Uh, this, I hope this adds to the debate, but I do think people must understand that those of us who opposed the, the, the strangling of society didn't do so because we were more concerned about money than life, but because we were just as concerned about life as everybody else. We just thought it was, it was the wrong way of saving yeah. Well, when you see what's happening currently in Australia, I watched a television report last night from one of their TV networks. It's quite extraordinary what Australia is now doing to its own people. You know, they're turning up at building sites, checking people's papers to see whether or not they've signed into the right QR code. And if they haven't, they get sent home and not paid. You know, people being um, arrested in the street uh, or arrested for being out at night because they've gone the wrong way or they shouldn't have been there. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. Well, it's an issue of the, my metaphor. Freedom is like a garden. Uh, unless you constantly tend it and, and, and get rid of the weeds of authoritarianism and uh, an excessive government power, it very quickly it turns into a, a rank mess of entangled, I won't say dictatorship, 
uh, but certainly something beginning to approach tyranny. I mean, the idea that in a, in, in a supposedly free country, the government can confine uh, the population to their homes, tell them what to wear, uh, and, and, and threaten them with uh, with heavy fines, and indeed visit quite severe police violence on them if they dare to disobey. Yeah. It's quite astonishing to mm. me. You, you would expect this, as I say, in Belarus. Well, um, right. And I mean, when you Belarus see... Just... Before, but we, uh, we get very, very worked up about Lukashenko's Belarus, and quite rightly so. It's a horrible, uh, it's a horrible tyranny. I've been there. I've, I've seen it. But it, it's th- that we really should think a little bit more critically about our, our own arrangements. Mm. If a country such as Australia uh, can des- descend into these measures, then we seem to have lost, uh, again, both yeah. a sense of caution and an understanding yeah. of what what makes us free. And, and Jacinda Ardern, who was being sort of hailed as the world's greatest leader ever um, some months back, has now actually issued a statement, which I heard her say, so I know she did say it, don't talk to your neighbours. I mean, that was actually part of a government uh, a press surely, conference. I, sorry, sure, that, I, I, have to, I have to cast doubt on that. Surely she can't have gone that far. She did. I mean, she I, said, I do she not is. talk to your neighbours. I mean, it's quite, I couldn't believe my ears. Because she probably, is more, more Blair than Blair in some ways. Yeah. So beloved, of course, by, by Blairite persons. But uh, I, 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 I'll, I'll have to check that one Well, out. please do, but, but you'll honestly, find it. Uh, it's uh, very sad. I, I, did, I finally made it to New Zealand a few years ago. Yeah. I thought it was a beautiful and enjoyable uh, country. And I've been watching with, with considerable distress mm. uh, what's been happening to it in the past couple of years. Um, but it, it, is, it, is, it is, again, this is what happens once you give too much power to yeah. people. Yeah. And you give power to people always. You give power to people because they promise to do good with it. That's that's the the start of all the problems. Yeah. Well, you entrust them to do good with it, but then when they don't, you sh- you then sort of seem surprised. But we shouldn't be, I suppose. But but it's- one other thing that I found interesting last week is Julie Hartley Brewer actually made a very apposite point um, when people were moaning and groaning about how the Taliban were was seeking to prevent people leaving the country. Um, because they were frightened of being killed. She said we should remind each other that actually a few months ago you could be fined £5,000 for trying to leave this country. Yeah, I know, but it's 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 a, it's a neat point, but it's not really an accurate comparison, is it? It's Most not. people of, of Afghanistan can't leave Afghanistan, whatever happens. Anyway, they haven't got the money or the resources to do it. It's only, only a minority who can mm. afford either to leave legally as, as people are doing now, or via people smugglers, as people have been doing now for many years, mm. since the first destabilizations of Afghanistan decades ago, uh, most people are stuck where they are, and they, 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 they simply don't know what the outside world is like or how to get there. So that's very different from an advanced country like this, where freedom of movement and a, uh, an annual foreign holiday, if not universal, are very common. Yeah. Yeah, it's a a smart point, but I don't think I think it's not really the point. No, quite. Let me finish up with Afghanistan, Peter. How do you see it all kind of ending? Um, I don't know that it's going to end any time soon, but it doesn't look like it's going to end very well. Well, I think it really for me, it's a matter of prayer and hope. I don't I hope that they will end up at least having some peace uh, because peace is the beginning of um, of all civilized life. I think the, the, the long years when it's been constant conflict, uh, if they can only come to an end. Uh, the idea of there being another civil war, which I heard being touted mm. this morning on the BBC, is is, is, is particularly horrifying. I, I think the less people mess around with other people's countries, the, the more likely they are to find their own, if not happiness, then at least contentment and peace. I'm very much against messing around in other people's countries, just as I'm against other people's countries messing around in my own. I think mm. this is a sensible principle. Uh, we adopted it as the, in, in Europe after the, the Thirty Years' War at the Great Peace of Westphalia. Basically, the interfering in other people's countries for their own good had left Europe a great mass of ruins and, and ashes and corpses. And people decided that although the intentions had been good, it had been a bad idea. And that actually persisted until roughly until Blair himself made his stupid famous speech in Chicago, in which he, he licensed for nations to intervene in other people's countries when they felt it was good. And, and we went back to the pre-30 years war rule where you could mess around elsewhere. I think we should stop it. Mm. I think other people should stop messing around with us. We should stop messing around with them. In the end, it will be better if we stick to that rule. I know there are, there are sometimes moments when you feel that you, you must intervene. But how many of these interventions after 20 or 30 years turns out to be as good even as it looked at the time? Mm. Well, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any one at all, Peter. But thank you very much indeed, as ever. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
And now we haven't talked about travel very much this uh, uh, this past week or so. There's been an awful lot going on in Afghanistan. There's been an awful lot going on uh, back here as well in all sorts of different stories. But I'm delighted to say time to say hello to Lisa Francesca Nan, travel expert, creator of the Big Travel Podcast. She's in Marbella, would you believe? Hopefully uh, having a nicer, sunnier time than we're having here in London. Lisa, very good morning. Good afternoon to you, I should say. Good afternoon. So, um, you've been there a while now. How's it? Uh, how's it been? I've seen some fantastic uh, pictures of you in various different guises, in various different scenarios. So, what's the? Uh, how, how great of a time are you having? Well, I don't like to show off, but if I have to, oh, no, really? It, it's, really, <laughs> it's really lovely to be here. You know, this is this is my home. It's where I'm from, and I haven't been here for a year. Um, because of the, the border closures, obviously, when I'm normally here every six weeks. So right. it's just incredible to be to be back here. And, you know, I, I always say how much I love the UK. I choose to make the UK my home. But um, like many people, it's, it's the weather, isn't it? And I know I'm from Brighton and I live next to the seaside and it, it's beautiful and lovely. But I know that if I would be spending were to be spending four weeks in, in Brighton during the summer instead of during here, the weather would just make things so much more difficult. So it, it has been lovely. And also to see my parents and all my friends and family. I do have to say, though, it's different because there's very, very few British tourists here. Right. I'm one of the rare creatures, uh, a British tourist. And it actually feels almost like a very uh, a step back in time because it's full of Spanish. I realise it is Spain, but this is a very touristy part of the coast. Mm. Uh, you normally you get a lot of more of us here and it's noticeable when you look down the beach or or in the restaurants everyone's brown rather than sort of a, a slightly pink. less straight yes. yeah, yeah, and what about uh, what about the sort of restrictions how are those going the restrictions are fine the bars are closing earlier here than they normally do uh, some bars close at 12 and other bars can close at two which is actually pretty right. one been to the cost of it yeah it sounds great and actually it's it's not too bad for us because it means like instead of a saying out till five o'clock in the morning mm. and feeling terrible the next day we're, we're going out in english hours you know we're eating earlier we're coming home earlier and actually that's that's good in terms of being a visitor right but probably not so good if you're one of the people that who has a who owns a late night to bar and of course lots of british expats uh, do rely on the tourist uh, euro here yes but when you hear the word curfew you don't think midnight or 2 a.m do you i mean you're thinking more like sort of nine or ten which i think is I what know. it was for a while <laughs> We do have a, 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 a 2, 2 a.m. curfew, and it's not a curfew. They're not being very strict. Like previously, there used to be a 10 a.m. curfew, a 10 p.m. curfew a few months ago, and mm. the police would be, you know, getting you back off the streets. It was quite scary. Um, but now it's just a, the, the bars need to close it too. So, yeah, it doesn't sound too hideous, but that is early for Spain. You know, it really is. Yes. And what about the, um, uh, the likelihood of what's going to happen this week? Because we keep hearing every single time now that Spain might move back onto uh, Amber Plus or maybe even Red. But if, if, if you're saying there's not that many Brits there, why would they bother doing that? I think I like to think it's scaremongering. Yeah. I like to think that the, the press want our attention, don't they? That's how they, they, they get us reading uh, the, the newspapers. I would have serious doubts as to whether, like looking at the data, although it doesn't seem that the government always follow the data, um, looking at the data and considering that we wouldn't actually have the capacity to put everyone from Spain onto into a red list hotel, right. I serious doubts as to whether Spain would go red list. I think most European countries are going to stay amber. But, you know, I've had thoughts before and they're educated guesses. You know, I am in the industry, mm. so I do have a fair idea what's going on. And then the government have said something different. I mean, we should be getting the green list, amber list, traffic light update list on Thursday. Um, but last time, three weeks ago, they snuck it out on a Wednesday at 10pm mm. at night. So, you know, they, they seem to like to surprise us. It's been it's been quiet, hasn't it, in travel for the last three Well, it weeks. has. I mean, the only story really that I've seen has been the one that's come out over the last few days in which they said, you know, people have been so confused by all the differences in changes and rules changing 65 times or something over the course of the summer. And we've now reached that point, Lisa, haven't we? If you've got children, this is really probably the last week you can you can even think about going away. This, this is absolutely the last week. And I do know people, friends that have stayed at home all summer and thought, we're not doing it, we're not doing it, we're not doing it. We bought Portugal yesterday. They were like, right. And one of the great fears of stopping people is what happens if you do test positive? Because we've all got to do a test to come back to the mm. UK. I'm doing mine on Friday, so I'll let you know. Um, what happens if you test positive when you're in another country? Right. I mean, 
really stuff you up, wouldn't it? If you had to. Well, I know people that it's happened to, and they've ended up having to stay there for two weeks in a government-run hotel um, at their own at their own cost. But of course, you don't have to take a PCR test. You can take one of those other tests, which isn't quite so, shall we say, strict. I will be taking the antigen test, yeah. but I mean, they do, they do, you know, get go positive as well uh, sometimes. But and and that's another grey area in terms of Spain. Spain's the only country that the um, the government said you're advised to take a PCR test, but you don't have to. Right. So who's going to pay the hundred quid for a PCR test? Well, that's it. Thirty-five euro antigen test. I'm certainly not going to. Maybe other more responsible people are. <laughs> well, we keep hearing from the government that they're going to clamp down on the cowboy testing companies, but every single week that gets promised that it doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. The, the PCR test, it just makes me so angry, Mike, because it really does feel like a money-making exercise. Yeah. It really does. You've got all the list of the government-approved centres. Have you tried to get one of these PCR tests for no. trouble? Because even I find it really, really confusing. There's just a a ridiculously long list and then some of them have started to call themselves AA or AA1 or AA01 or whatever just to like get to the top of the list they range from 200 quid to 25 quid I know some I know plenty of people who've come back uh, to the UK and their tests don't arrive till like day five or something so it just seems an absolute waste of money particularly when in the UK we're testing as widely as possible you know we testing on the street i picked up packs and packs of free antigen tests why can't we do those it just seems ridiculous and yeah. it's a, not a money-making exercise even for the government it's a money-making exercise for private companies i don't understand it and it it looks like we've complained so much that something will change with these it, it hopefully will be clearer yeah but saying it's the summer's over now isn't it really it's just the few people who will be going away after the summer well that's right and i assume that was the point of the whole exercise was to kind of put people off and make it difficult for them certainly worked for me uh because i can't be bothered going anywhere that might run me the risk of of having to self-isolate or not be able to work or whatever but i saw a story at the weekend lisa from from somebody who tweeted me this saying that she had come to britain to to visit from gibraltar I think she might be British, came to Britain, um, didn't get the two-day test because it didn't arrive on time, went back to Gibraltar, at which point she was pinged for having been in contact with somebody who had COVID. She then got a call from uh, Test and Trace and she explained to them actually she's not in Britain anymore and they didn't even know. So they didn't even have a record of her leaving the country. No, it seems it seems very disorganised and very difficult. I'm being told to be quiet now because there's golfers here. I'm, I'm live on the radio. Golfers? <laughs> There's Tell golfers, them. yeah, and I don't want to put them off their, uh, what do you even call it? I don't even know the terminology. Are they, pu- are they putting? They're putting, yes, they're exactly yeah. putting. They've, well, they've they should be, they should be, lucky I'm not there, it would be a lot noisier, to be honest. I don't know what's more important, their golfing game or my report on the travel situation. Well, I think, I think your report obviously is far more important. I'll, 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 I'll let you go shortly. Tell me finally, what are you hearing about uh, Turkey, which I'm hearing might go um, amber, and what are you hearing about Croatia? Croatia, I've heard, might go red. Really? Um, red? We're really hoping might go amber, um, but we just don't know. And I don't want to speculate, Mike, because people have speculated in the press before. And um, you, do you know what? I was here first. Thank you. They're telling me off. Can you believe it? I was here first. It's a golf course. Oh, yeah, but this is the no, bar part. I'm paying to be here too. Right, well, you can go away from here and do your problem. But I was here first. Tell him we'll find out who he is and ruin him. <laughs> we'll find out who he is. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd better go. Hi, Buster. You can try. Yeah, well, I've got a lot of contacts down here in the golf business, so I'll find out who you are and we'll come and visit you. Can't believe I've just been threatened live on the radio. I know. Terrible. Shocking. Well, this is is why uh, you're probably better off hanging around where the Spanish are. I know, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But I'm in a beautiful hotel here, so we'll forgive them. Marvellous. Well, listen, Lisa, thank you very much indeed. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.